Let's pray before we begin. Lord please let us understand your word and put it in our hearts. May it shape our lives to be more like your Son. In Jesus' name we ask, Amen. Two weeks ago, <clears throat> I was preaching, or I had been scheduled for over a year and a half to preach in Richardson, Texas. Richardson, Texas is right near my hometown of Dallas, Texas. I had been scheduled for a year and a half to speak at, at one of the growing churches there. And it was somewhat of a different kind of a conference for I was to share the pulpit with Bob Keyes. Bob Keyes has been a friend of mine for 37 or 38 years. I got off the plane, and of course, naturally, I, Bob and I had never shared a pulpit together. He, well, I, since since uh, I've been preaching around the country so much, when we were younger preachers, we did. But it uh, been years since I'd preached with Bob on the same platform, and of course, since I preached across the country so much, Bob was looking forward to being able to preach with me, and since we've been buddies for so many years. So I got off the plane fully expecting Bob to share the pulpit with me that evening. I was met with a pastor, and the pastor said, Dr. Hiles, for the keys will not be able to be with us. Uh, somebody help the children uh, who are misbehaving. I want to be heard this morning. If a child misbehaves, immediately just take the child outside misbehaves. Don't wait a second. Just, just like that, the minute the first cry... Just take the child out, and uh, let's listen carefully now. We, God knows we have a hard enough time uh, being away from home without people not taking care of the children. And uh, you say, well, how's your being rude? No, I think the rudest thing in the world is for someone to keep people. Think of all the hours we spent getting ready this morning. Think of the thousands of miles and the hundreds of thousands of miles been spent in driving to church this morning. Now, we need, the, we need God to speak to us, and nobody could be any ruder than to, than to make it so that all these thousands of people can't hear and can't get God's blessing this morning. And that's why I uh, try to keep folks from being rude. So I, <clears throat> the pastor said, Dr. Hiles, where the keys will not be able to speak tonight, for he's at the point of death. In fact, they thought all last night he would die. He was so sick that he prayed to die last night. Well, I spoke Monday night and Tuesday morning. Bob was out in the Veterans Hospital in the Lisbon section of Dallas. That hospital is just two or three blocks from where I went to grade school. It's just one block from where I got my first haircut in the barber shop. And uh, so forth. Some of you fellows haven't done that yet. You're four, thirty years old. Hope you'll see to it as soon as you can. Uh, I mean, getting a haircut. You're there or dying. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, I went out to the hospital uh, when veteran, the Veterans Hospital when it was built about thirty. Oh my, thirty-seven years ago. I was the paper boy there. And while they were building it, I went and sold a newspaper subscription to the doctors and the nurses and so forth when I was a kid, 10, 11 years of age. 
When I walked in the room where Bob was, Bill Harvey was with me. I walked in the room where Bob was, and he was obviously a very, very sick man. He had a heart attack several years ago. After that, he'd had surgery on his throat. His heart attack left his vocal cords paralyzed, and he couldn't couldn't speak, had to whisper only. And he had uh, an operation on his vocal cords, and then after that, he had open-heart surgery, had an aneurysm on his heart, and about two-thirds of his heart was removed. He could barely speak, just above a whisper and only a few words at a time. You can imagine, uh, if you talk to one of your old friends of a lifetime nearly, and and uh, it's hard to realize, you know, that we're old and, um, and middle-aged and older. It's hard to realize that. We still feel young. You kids don't realize that. We still feel young. We, we, you don't look as, there's not as much difference to us between us as there is to you. Uh, we look like we're antiques to you, but uh, we don't feel that way. We feel like we look as young as you do. And uh, so uh, anyway, uh, I talked to Bob for a while, and uh, he was some better that day. And uh, I did something I'd never done in all my life. I kissed him goodbye on the forehead. And when I got through kissing him, I, I went Ick, like that, you know, so it would be too gooey. And uh, so we talked about this future, and I told him some things I'd like to do to help him. And uh, then I went in the hallway, and I told his dad, I said, Now, I think he's a very sick man. I hope he'll live. It'll take a miracle. Last Monday night, I was preaching in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I got in from speaking, and the phone rang. And the message came that Bob was dead. Now, uh, I don't mind Bob going to heaven, but Bob's not the kind of fellow that ought to die. He was always a mischievous kid. He's the kind of kid that always was uh, the, the loudest one, had all the Pollock stories, and I'm sorry, Texas stories, and so forth. And uh, uh, Bob's not the kind of fellow that ought to die. You just don't think about Bob dying, you know. Uh, he was the kind of kid that, uh, uh, oh, well, I couldn't tell you all. But I, I sat down in the room in Pittsburgh and began to think and relive as you do. I thought of the first night, first day I ever saw him. I've always been a softball pitcher, at least I was till I got uh, arthritis and so forth. But I was a softball pitcher. Bob, I was, I was pitching for the Fernwood Baptist Church junior softball team. We played a game at Bowdestoria Junior High School softball field, and uh, and the Hillcrest Baptist team we were playing. And little Bob Keys was the shortstop, cotton-headed kid, about 11 years of age at the time. I think he was 10, and I was 11. And uh, he was the cockiest kid on the field. He was the kind of fellow that when I pitched, I wanted to hit him in the head. I mean, really, he, he'd stand up there. The kind of the crowd to play. You know, you know. And then, uh, and then he'd, he'd, about the time he'd get ready to pitch, he'd step out of the batter's box. You know the kind. And I'd aim for his gizzard, you know. And, uh, and uh, But I remember the first time, and I thought of the first time I ever saw him. And... Um, then, of course, there were, there were the ball teams we played on. I soon moved to the same area where he lived, and 
in the same Sunday school class, and he played third base on our ball teams all through the years. I pitched all the way through school, and he played third base. <clears throat> and we won uh, we won the city championship over a hundred teams in the city, and we won the city championship three consecutive years, and uh, <clears throat> all those things. There's Mr. Tamke. Mr. Tamke was our coach, and uh, we we thought he was the grandest guy in all the world. We threw paper routes together every. Uh, afternoon, we'd go to the same spot and get our papers, the Dallas Times-Herald, get our papers. And uh, two or three times a week, we'd meet Willie Hall. He was the district manager. We'd meet him, and he's the fellow to we'd pay our bills and so forth. And uh, added to that, there was the Royal Ambassador chapter, sort of a Christian Boy Scouts we had in our church. And there was the YMCA and the basketball team, and then I recall the time that we broke Troy Jackson's leg. Troy Jackson was our Sunday school teacher. He decided we were going to have a football game one Saturday. He was going to show us what a good football player he was. We snapped the ball to Troy Jackson. He ran around left end, and I, I hit him low. Bob hit him high. Bob always tackled high. He always tackled you around the neck. Nobody liked him because of that. And uh, he hit the teacher high. I hit him low, and he didn't get up. <clears throat> we took him to the hospital. Our Sunday school teacher with a broken leg. He went around in a cast for months and months and months. And uh, you said, who broke his leg? Bob did. But you said he hit him high. Yeah, he had his leg way up high. And uh, <clears throat> so, uh, and there was a, that was a Sunday school class. And there were our Sunday school teachers, most of them gone to heaven now, Dr. Boyd and Dr. Rutherford and Sam Montgomery and others. Most of them in heaven now, and Bob's with them this morning. Um, there was um, there was the Darty's Pharmacy and the malted milks and the vacant lot next door to Bob's house where we played every afternoon. There were the Monopoly games at the Arthur Jordan's house where we went to play on Saturdays. There was the ROTC in the high school, and there was the football there the football games where we ushered and and sometimes played. And uh, you've heard me tell about that sweet experience when Bob was holding hands in, in the auditorium in the assembly at the high school. We were having an assembly, had 2,000 student body at W.H. Adamson High School, and Bob was in love. And, of course, I was the president and executive secretary of the Woman Haters Club, and, and uh, we guys were sitting behind Bob. He was holding hands with Sylvia. Well, it was dark in the room and uh, having a, a movie. And Bob was holding hands, and then we'd notice he'd rub hands and squeeze hands, you know. Well, in those days, we had a little game that the fellows played, and sometimes we still do with our children. We'd squeeze four times. One is, do you love me? That's four times, four squeezes. Then the other would squeeze back three times. Yes, I do. And then the first person that would squeeze back twice, how much? And then you both of you squeeze your heart. Like that. That meant a heap, you know. <clears throat> and so uh, Bob and Sylvia came out of their clinch for a while, and, and uh, so they were sitting up straight. They were not holding hands, and I decided to have a little fun. <clears throat> so it was dark, movie going on. I slipped my hand up between the, the seats and, and reached out and took Bob's hand. He thought it was Sylvia's hand. <clears throat> he rubbed my hand and rubbed it and rubbed it and rubbed it. And I rubbed his hand back and uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and then he'd squeeze mine and I'd squeeze his. And he'd rub mine a little more and I'd rub his a little more. And uh, 
So finally I squeezed four times, do you love me? And he squeezed back three times, yes, I do, taking all the time he had Sylvia's hand. And I squeezed back, how much? And he and, and then he went, mm, and I went, mm, and he knew that wasn't Sylvia's voice. <coughs> we almost had a murder in the assembly. And uh, it's funny, I thought about that. Bob had just died a few minutes before, and I was sitting in the hotel room, crying in my eyes and laughing in my mouth, remembering the, the time and so forth. And then there was the time that I had my first wedding. Guess who I married? Guess who the first couple was ever married? Bob Keyes and Sybil. And uh, I was standing there, look at it. It was a big wedding at my home church. A big, <coughs> big building had 700 folks there. That's a lot of folks at a wedding. Uh, one of the biggest I've ever seen. 700 people were standing outside, and Bob didn't know it was my first wedding. And Bob was nervous like that. And there was Bobby Martin, the best man. And they were all shaking. And and Bob said to Jack, I was pastor down East Texas. He said, "Forgive me." He said, "If I'm nervous," he said, "This is the first time I ever did this." I said, "Don't feel bad, Bob. This is the first time I ever did this too." He said, what? And I said, this is my first wedding. And uh, I thought about that. And then I thought uh, of, the, of the night when he came to East Texas to see me. And he had been out, out of God's will, not a wicked man, never a wicked man, but a mischievous kind of a person. Found it very easy to backslide, not to go to church for a while. And one Wednesday afternoon he came down and said, Jack, I wanted you to know first, God's called me to full-time service to be a preacher. And I wanted you to know first, he drove 150 miles just to tell me first. And uh, then it uh, wasn't long till I was uh, called to a church in near Dallas, Miller Road Baptist Church in Garland, outside of Dallas. And uh, so I needed a music director. <clears throat> now, Bob was a pretty good musician. So I went to my deacons and I said, um, I'd like to hire a full-time music director. And J.D. Cumbus, one of my deacons, said, I don't believe in a pit a man leader singing. And so I said, well, by the way, I need a secretary, too. So I said, I'd like to have Bob Keyes be my secretary. And so we hired Bob Keyes as my secretary. Couldn't type a lick and uh, couldn't take shorthand. Uh, we hired him to be a secretary, and, uh, uh, and so put a sign up there that said, Pastor's Secretary Bob Keyes, and we let him lead the singing on Sunday and lead the crop on the side. And uh, so J.B. Cumbus thought that was okay. What he didn't know was that, that Bob wasn't a secretary, but uh, I was crooked then, just like I am now. <clears throat> and not quite as crooked then. I developed meaner tactics, but uh, anyway... Uh, he was my secretary, made, paid him $50 a week. That was his first salary. And for three years, he was my assistant pastor. And I remember the night, the, the, the day he was ordained to preach, and I led in the ordination service. And then his first church, I was preaching in a revival meeting out in South Dallas, and a pulpit committee came from the Galilean Baptist Church in Dallas. Dr. John Rice started that church years ago. And they said our church has gone down to about 150 in Sunday school, and right here in Dallas, in the city of almost a million people, we feel like God wants you, Dr. House, to be our, our preacher. And I said, no, no, I'm not interested at all, but I said, I know you're man. 
And they said, who? And I said, Bob Keyes. He's my assistant. He wants to pastor, but he believes God wants him to pastor. And I said, he's your man. And they called him to pastor. And then for nine straight years, I preached for him every year in the annual Bible conference. And then uh, he moved to Greenville, Texas, and I preached there and uh, for him in that church. And then word came from Texas that he had a heart attack. I'll never forget the day that uh, I, that he called me after he'd lost his voice and couldn't do any but whisper. He called me on the phone from the hospital. As soon as he woke up and as soon as he could talk, he called me on the phone. He said, Hi, Jack! He said, I wanted you to be the first one to hear my voice since I can talk again. I hadn't talked, I guess, in months and months and months. And uh, then open-heart surgery. I was preaching for Terry Smith in Longview, Texas, dedicating this uh, building, and Sybil and Bob had driven down, and Sybil said, Jack, Bob has given up. He's given up. Says he's hard to live with. He's cantankerous. He's just given up. He says, isn't it not good for anything? He said, I thought maybe you could shake some sense into his head. And so that night, Bob could not walk as far from me to Brother Sully here without having to sit down and rest a while. Looked like he was 80 years of age. And that night I drove him back to Dallas, three-hour drive, and I scolded him. I said, how long have you been backslidden? He said, I haven't been backslidden. I've been sick. I said, no, you're backslidden. Not right with God, wicked and vile. He said, what do you mean, Jack? I had open-heart surgery. I'm not well. I said, God says everybody's got to answer to God, not just well people. And I bawled him out, and we made some plans for his future, and I helped him schedule his meetings around the country and so forth. And he had... Uh, he prayed for God to give him several more years. I could tell you how many I think. If I give it some thought. God gave him that much. And around the country, had the best ministry he'd ever had in his life and became nationally known, whereas he was never known before outside Texas much. And uh, had a wonderful ministry. Became a fine preacher. And uh, then in a hotel room in Oklahoma City a few weeks ago, Suddenly, he fell to the floor, and uh, something had happened to his heart. And last Monday night, last uh, Monday at noon, his dad was with him. His dad I've known for years. And Bob said, Dad, he said, you're worn out. I've worn you out. You've been here at the hospital all this time. I've worn you out. He said, Dad... Uh, I'm sorry, I know you're tired. And his dad said, no, Bob, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I, I feel fine. And Bob said, don't worry, Dad. And these were the last words anybody ever heard him say. Don't worry, Dad. I'll be with the Lord tomorrow. I'll be with the Lord tomorrow. Say, folks, did you know that's all that really matters? Doesn't matter now about that paper route. Doesn't matter now about the ball team. We thought life depended on that ball team. I can recall if we'd lose a game, we'd cry. Well, after we killed the umpire, we'd cry. And uh, it was the biggest thing in the whole world. What? The ball game. We've got to win. Got to win. Got to win. Doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter whether he played third base and made a bunch of errors or a bunch of hits. That doesn't matter now. The only thing that matters, I'll be with the Lord tomorrow. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. 
Doesn't matter now about the old TC or the malted milks at Darty's Pharmacy. Doesn't matter now about the Sunday school class. Doesn't matter now about the dates. Doesn't matter now about the paper house. Doesn't matter now about the holding of hands in the, in the, in the, in the uh, auditorium at Adamson High School. Doesn't matter. All that matters. All that matters. Bless God, he's with the Lord. That's all that matters. And that's all that matters much with you and me, too. We get so wrapped up in little things. We get so, so engrossed in eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and coming and going and buying and selling. Somebody will stop and realize we're a dying people. We've got to die and face God. All that really matters is will you be with God tomorrow? That's all that matters. Let me ask you a question. How about you? Huh? How about you? I recall one night Bob Keyes and I sat on the curb at 11 o'clock at night, 10 to 10, 11 o'clock at night, out in front of my house after going to Doris Farms and getting the malted milk. And I said, Bob, I said, there'll be a day. Well, one of these days, though we're just kids now, we talked about death that night, I said, there'll be a day, one of these days, when one of us will get a phone call that the other of us has been taken. And I thought about that Monday night, what I'd said uh, 30 years ago, sitting on the curb in front of my house. And one of these days, you'll slump to your floor. One of these days, you'll feel a pain in your chest. One of these days you'll hear the squeaking of brakes on the highway and the clashing of steel and you'll be hurled from the car and out on the road and some car will come by and blow your body and they'll walk up and say, he's gone, you've got to die, you've got to die, you've got to die. You say, I don't think it'll be soon. No, and neither does anybody else think it'll be soon either. That sister of Rissy Forrester, Dorothy Wood, was killed in a car wreck. She didn't exactly sit down and say, I think I'll have a car wreck today and get killed. You don't know. You don't know. Listen, this room this morning is empty. Uh, the seats are vacant of many hundreds of people in our church who were taken at the age of 10 or 11 or 12 or 4 or 5 or 13 or 15 or 16. The only thing that matters doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank. Good night. How silly can you get? Why don't you live for eternity for a while? Why don't you live for one great realization? We are a dying people. So maybe all that matters is how pretty you look. Some of you ladies, you wouldn't go to the door if your hair wasn't combed. I've seen you when it wasn't cold, and I thank you for not coming to the door, too. All that matters is that little old push you've got, is it powdered just right? <coughs> Vanity of vanities. Some of you men live, live, all you live for is to collect a few pieces of paper. Stupid. Folly! Ridiculous! Night is more to life than collecting paper. It's all you're here for. 
Many of you have gray hair and bald heads, and many of you have stooped shoulders and, and trembling hands and unsure steps. Living for vanity. How do I look? How much do I have? How much do folks like me? What do I get out of it? What kind of a house do I have? What kind of car can I drive? What difference does it make? The only thing that matters. You've got to die and face God. And while you're on the journey to eternity, it just seems to me you ought to have enough sense to live for eternity. Three things the Apostle Paul did in trying to persuade people to be Christians. Brother John, I how to go to the Scripture for us. This year thou shalt die. God said that to Hananiah. Hananiah was a false prophet who prophesied peace when war was coming, prophesied victory when defeat was coming, prophesied love when wrath was coming, prophesied... Uh, 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 that, that peace was going to come to the land when, when the truth is peace was not going to come. He was an air tickler, a back scratcher. And the Lord came and said, You have been disobedient. This year thou shalt die. <coughs> Paul said, there are three things he did. He expounded, he testified, and he persuaded. In Acts 28, 23, but he's trying to get folks to be saved. It says first he expounded. Then he testified. In fact, I'll read it to you. It says, um, uh, And when, when they had appointed him a day, there came to him uh, the minute to his, to his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus. And those three things are necessary for anybody's salvation. First, the expounding. Second, the testifying, and third, the persuading. Now, what does it mean to expound? It means to tell you how or what to do to be saved. You're not saved because you got tickled in the spine one time and God knocked you down. You came down and tingled all over. You're not saved because uh, one, one day an electrifying something hit you and, 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 you, and you, you felt like electricity was going in and out of your, your, your veins and in your body. You're not saved because of that. Nobody ever got saved unless they knew how to get saved. Like Van Saturn used to say, he was at the altar when he was a young man and down in wild and woolly kind of a church and somebody came and said, Hold on! And somebody said, Let go! No, you're not saved by holding on, letting go either one. First, you've got to have the truth expounded. You've got to know what it means. And the simple truth is there are four things you've got to know. The first thing you've got to know is that you're a sinner. Second thing you've got to know is that because you are a sinner, you owe a debt to God that will take your soul to hell forever. Third thing you've got to know is that Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, came to earth went to Calvary and took upon himself your sins as your substitute and paid your penalty on the cross. And the fourth thing you've got to know, if you'll quit trying to save yourself and rely on what he did for you at Calvary, he'll take you to heaven when you die and make you his child. Not because you're a good man, it's because you trust Jesus' payment for your death, for your sins. Not because you join the church, because you trust him and his sin debt payment. Not because you've been baptized or confirmed. It's because you've come to a place where you know four simple things. I am a sinner. Nobody's ever been saved who didn't know he was a sinner first. Number two, I know he's a sinner. I am condemned before God to go to hell if I don't, if I don't be saved. Number three, 
Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, God in the flesh, went to the cross and paid my sin debt, and I receive him, and that payment is my hope for eternal life. That's, the, that's what you've got to know. That's the expounding. When Paul expounded, he said that. When Paul expounded, he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. But then Paul testified. Now, expounding is telling what to do. Testifying is telling I did it and what, and, and what it did for me. And could I pass this morning without thanking God at the end of this year for the fact that now for 38 years, over 30, oh, say over 37 years, nearly 38, I've been saved. The New Year season is a very, very, very difficult season for me in many respects, and yet in many respects a wonderful season. I surrendered my life to preach the gospel at a watch night service, New Year's Eve, 1944. I witnessed to my father for the last time on New Year's Day, 1950. But I would like to say this morning, the closing Sunday of this year, I'd like to say I wouldn't trade places this morning with anybody in the whole world. I told you one time about that lady in the department store. I was trading with her in the department store. She looked at me and she said, uh, <clears throat> she said, um, uh, could I have identification, please? And I gave her some identification. It said Reverend Jack Hiles on one of the credit cards. She looked up at me and she says, uh, is this your card? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, uh, you are a reverend? Well, I said, not very. <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor, preacher. You are a preacher? Yes, ma'am. I think so. Thought I was. She said, well, you're pretty sharp. You don't have to be a preacher. You could be something else. And I said, this may come as a great shock to you, lady. But I'd rather be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ than anything else in the whole world. Paul testified. He first said, this is how to be saved. And then he would say, I did it. I did it. That's the second thing. And that's what we ought to cover this area. Oh, a certain town in this area. They passed a resolution, passed a law now, or, or law. Uh, uh, what did they pass? A bunch of junk, but uh, ordinance. <clears throat> that, that you can't go soul winning anymore. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to jail. They can pass all the ordinances they want to, but I'm not going to quit soul winning. And I say that ain't true. I'm going to suggest, I'm going to, I don't, if Hammond passed an ordinance, and if, if Munster passed an ordinance, and if Griffith, and Highland, and Gary, and Kelly City, and East Chicago, and Whitey and all the rest of them pass ordinances against soul winning. My Bible says we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. So we're going to keep on expounding how to do it and testifying that we did it and it's wonderful. There's a third thing Paul did. Paul, in trying to get these people saved, he was a prisoner in Rome. They brought people to him. He expounded. He said, this is what to do. 
He testified. He says, this is what I did and what it did for me. And then he persuaded. And that word persuaded is a strong word. I looked it up. <clears throat> it, it, it means he begged people. People sometimes say, why, why do you holler when you preach? I'm trying to persuade folks. How come you beat the pulpit? I'm trying to persuade people. Same reason I hauled a football game. I first came up, and I said, I'm glad of all of this. I first came up north, and, and the people said to me, you Texas preachers got too much hot, too hot blood. You all got hot blood, you Texas preachers. And one fellow said to me, and many of our folks said, you said, oh, we, we, we feel it, but don't show it. We feel it, but don't show it. I came right to this place to a basketball game with that fellow. One of the fellows said that. We sat right up there. Right up there. And Hoosier hysteria took over. It was toward the end of the game, and this guy who told me that we don't show it, we just feel it. He got up on the edge of his seat like that, and I said, watch it there, you're about to become Pentecostal. <coughs> and uh, he got up on the edge of his seat, and when, when, when the winning basket went through, he grabbed the hat of the fellow in front of him by the brim and lifted it high and went, Woo! And down came the hat. The brim kept going. And I said, you Yankees, feel it, but don't show it. Persuade. Paul said, this is what you do. I want you to know I'm happy because I did it. Please do it. That's what he said. That's what he expound. This is how to do it. Testify, I did it. And I like it. Persuade, please do it. And I said that this morning. I told you how to be saved. I testified that I'm so pleased that I am. And I persuade you to settle it with God. As I said a while ago, I've mixed emotions this time of the year because it was 24 years ago, 25 years ago. Day after tomorrow, <clears throat> when I drove to Dallas, Texas, and got my drunkard father out of a tavern and sobered him up and took him back to East Texas, to Marshall, Texas, where I preached. It was 25 years ago, Sunday-wise, next Sunday, when I preached to him. It was 25 years ago, this week, when I talked to him about Jesus for the last time. I, I expounded, I told him what to do. I testified, I told him I did it, and I wanted him to do it, <clears throat> but I didn't persuade. I didn't persuade. He told me he'd get saved in the springtime, but he never got saved. He died with a heart attack on May 13, May 12, he was buried May 13, 1950, 25 years ago this May. Kids, it's not as far as you think it is from being in the high school assembly to being 47 years old as Bob Keyes was when he died. 
Ebenezer's? It's closer than you think. Moms and dads, it's on us. It's on us. Don't worry, Dad. Tomorrow, I'll be with the Lord. I can say that. It may not be tomorrow like Monday. It may not be tomorrow like this week. But whatever that tomorrow is, and under whatever conditions, I'll be with the Lord. It may be that the pilot will say, ladies and gentlemen, We've lost our engine or one engine on the on fire. We're going to have to ditch at sea. Make a forced landing. It may be a clashing of steel and the burning of the gasoline in some field somewhere. And you may hear it as it comes across the airways. Flight so-and-so going to Chicago is down and nobody no survivors. And you may check and find that Brother House was on that flight. Or you may hear that somehow Brother House was preaching somewhere and a pain went to his chest. And he grasped his chest and fell at the pulpit. Or you may hear that on the way to the airport coming back there's a clashing of steel. And all of a sudden on the highway he was taken. But whatever it is, and wherever it is, tomorrow I'll be the Lord. And if you don't know that, you're a fool. You're a fool. Would you bow your heads, please? Our Heavenly Father, I pray you'd beat some sense in some heads that haven't had any sense in years. I pray you'd shake somebody who hasn't been shaken in so long. I pray for those who know they're saved to quit spending their lives collecting paper, trying to get pretty or popular or famous. Oh, God in heaven, help us to realize we're people headed for eternity. We ought to spend our lives on things that are eternal. Shake some sense into our heads. Bless my people. Bless my staff. Bless my deacons. Bless my teachers and officers. Bless the school faculty and the student body. Bless the teenagers. And on the last day of 1974, give us some enough sense to know all that matters is our relationship with God and serving others and, and making their relationship right with God. And then for those people this morning, that number of people here who do not know that tomorrow they'll be with the Lord. I pray you would help them and speak to them in this hour in Holy Spirit power. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. The first thing I want to ask you this morning is this. How many would say to the house, I'm saved? I know it, but I'm afraid I've been too material-minded. <coughs> I'm afraid I've spent too much time and thought on the temporal. Oh yes, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But I'm afraid I'm too earthy. And spend too much time on the earthy. If God will help me, I'm going to do eternal things in 1975. Would you lift your hand, please, all over the building? 
You may lower your hands. God bless you. How many have said, Brother Hiles, I may or may not be what I ought to be as a Christian, but I know one thing. Whatever tomorrow is, and whenever that tomorrow is, and whatever of the tomorrows it is, I'll be with the Lord. For I know that I'm saved, and I know that if I died today, I'd be with God. I know it. No doubt in my mind about it. I know it. Would you lift your hand, please? All over the building. All over the building. God bless you. You can lower your hands. Now for that crowd of people this morning whose hands were not then lifted. Or to those who lifted quivering hands, unsure hands, because you're afraid the person beside you might see if your hand was down. If you do not know that tomorrow, whenever that tomorrow is and wherever it is, if you do not know that you'll be with the Lord, but you wish you did, you want to be saved, you want to know that you're saved, and you'd say, Brother Hiles, pray for me, I do not know I'm ready to die, I do not know that if I died today I'd go to heaven, but I want to know it, pray for me, pray for me. Lift your hand, please. On the main floor first. You don't know that you're saved, but you wish you did. Pray for me, you'd say. Raise your hand. On the main floor. Lift it way high. God bless you. Who else? Lift it way high. Who else? On the main floor. You don't know that you're saved, but you wish you did. Raise your hand, please. On the main floor. In the balcony on my left. The primary one, high school two, junior one, junior high two. You don't know that you're saved, but you wish you did. Raise your hand for prayer, please. Raise your hand. Yes, who else? Yes, you, yes, see you, who else? You don't know that you're ready to die, but you wish you did. Lift your hand, please. In the center balcony, you don't know that you're saved, but you want to know. Would you lift your hand, please? The center balcony. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand too. Who else in the center balcony? In the balcony on my right, you'd say, pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved, but I wish I did. Pray for me. Lift your hand, please. God bless you. Who else? The balcony on my right, God bless you. Back in the junior high one, yes. Who else? I don't know that I'm saved, but I wish I did. Raise your hand, please. In the balcony on my right, high school one, primary two, Junior two, junior high one, would you raise your hand? And the adults there too. Our Heavenly Father, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had some sense? Enough sense to know that this temple of clay is just here for a while. Wouldn't it be good enough if we had enough sense, dear God, to know that we're just passing through? It may be the next breath. It may be the next trip. I pray you'd help us, oh God, to prepare for the inevitable. Help us to hear the words of Amos as he says, Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Speak to the hearts of the people this morning. Now our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you don't know that you're going to heaven, you can know. And here's how you can know. Right where you are, realize that you are a sinner, 
Right where you are, realize that as a sinner, you're lost without God. Right where you are, realize that Jesus Christ on the cross paid the debt for sinners. And right where you are, would you say to God, silently but sincerely, Oh God, I receive him today. I receive him today. If you'll do that, I'm going to ask you, when we stand and sing in just a moment, in the balcony, upstairs and down, on the lower floor too, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat, wherever you are. If you're upstairs, come to the nearest exit and downstairs. If you're downstairs, come to the nearest aisle and down the center aisle. And let us know that you're receiving Christ today. Now, right now, somebody is saying, don't you do that. Don't you do that. There are too many people here. That'd be embarrassing. Now, that's the devil. You kick him in the pants and say, go to hell, devil. Get back to hell. I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior. And you leave that seat, and you come down this aisle, and you let us know that you're receiving Jesus Christ. If you want to join this church by transfer, you come. If you want to get baptized since you've been saved, you come. If you've been saved and never have let people know it, you come. But if you have not yet received Christ, if you do not know that if you died you'd go to heaven, I beg you to come. I beg you to come. Father, bless the invitation. Bring people down these aisles from all over this building. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening and if you like this please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group Jesus Answers Prayer.